BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, and welcome to Newsweek's Parting Shot, your dose of everything pop culture. I'm H. Allen Scott. On today's episode, I'll be chatting with the legendary Patrick Stewart about the second season of his Paramount Plus series, Star Trek Picard. We go over how Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry wasn't too keen on Stewart's take on Jean-Luc Picard, and something that Patrick and I have in common, our shared love of pockets. I mean, think about it for a second. Pockets are amazing. Imagine life without pockets. I, I don't want to live in that world. I don't. So go on, grab a snack, because I'll be right back. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Patrick Stewart is one of those actors where you think you know what you're going to get. You know, the accent, of course. But you also know that he's going to be steady. He's going to be in charge. He's going to be put together. But if you really think about it, like, not just his iconic take on Jean-Luc Picard in the Star Trek franchise or his performance in the X-Men films, but outside of all of that, you begin to realize that, like, Stewart's a bit of a ham. Like, he's funny. Go watch the an episode of the Ricky Gervais comedy extras, and you'll see what I'm talking about. He's really, really funny. Or you could just listen to our chat, because while we go over all the things you want to hear about, like the incredible second season of Star Trek Picard currently airing on Paramount+, and, of course, his forthcoming memoir, which is very exciting, we also talk about pockets, you know, like the things you put your hands in or your keys or whatever. And and we go over how much we love pockets and how pockets are incredible well picard is great and with the second season obviously already underway it it kind of we're seeing sort of jean-luc in a totally different way which i mean more sensitive more open to i mean well love of course but a lot of other things just more open in general do you feel like this sort of new this is a new evolution of the character for you oh entirely yes And that was based on one subject that the producers brought up at our very first meeting. And then when I agreed to a second meeting, because I only took the first meeting so that I could say to these, because these were, there were four absolutely brilliant people Mm -hmm. who had come together to to offer me this project. Um, that I said to them, I'm, I'm meeting you for one reason only. I respect you so much. I wanted to say that I was going to pass to your faces um, and explain to you why I was going to pass. 
And and I did all of that. And then they they said, may we respond? And they made a long, long speech. And after the meeting, when it was over, I said to my agent, who was with me in the room, if you could get them to put down on paper everything that they said, not because I don't trust them, but because reading their comments is going to have more impact on me than being talked at. Yeah. And they did. And I went back. And after my second meeting, I said, yes, sign me up. <laughs> and and it was and what they had said that made all the difference. It, and it was, they said, look, here's the thing. 30 years have passed yeah. since you were Jean-Luc Picard. And your life has gone on. Your career has gone on. Your private life has changed. You've got to understand, we believe the same things have been happening to Jean-Luc, yeah, yeah. that he too has gone through transitions. He is not the same man who is flying the USS Enterprise. Yeah. He's a different man. Well, that hooked me because the idea of performing the same character Yes. But 30 years after I'd done the previous one, and to develop an individual who was changed yes. and who, in fact, as they predicted and, and as happened, would change all the way through the seasons. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. I also love the idea. I feel like it's such a British thing to, to want to be able to, to be so kind to say no to someone to their face, whereas the American way I feel like would just be not to call back. You know, just, just. <laughs> no, I always try to do that. I mean, there was Alex Kurtzman, Akiva Goldsman, uh, Michael Shabon yeah. was at that meeting. Um, it, it, it was extraordinary. The people, I mean, we had one Pulitzer Prize winner. We had an Academy Award winner. Um, it, it, it was only the, the right and proper thing to do. Yeah. And oh, speaking of Academy Award winners, Whoopi's back, which is so exciting. I mean, that's. That's probably, I mean, besides you, that's like huge whoopee. And it, what I love is that she's kind of like a conduit to getting Jean-Luc to find his heart again, in a way. I mean, she even has the line, like, what happened to your heart? She, she's, she's, she's really special in a lot of ways. What was it like having Whoopi back? And how does she sort of maybe help evolve your character a little bit? Well, maybe you're not aware. A lot of people saw it. But I offered her the role of Guinan in Picard, live on television on The View. Did you know that? I did not know that, but I love that. It's very appropriate. Uh, yes, I, I didn't know right up to the moment that I began to say the words that I was going to do it. I'd been granted approval from the my fellow executive producers. And when I, I love doing The View. It's one of my favorite yeah. shows. It's one um, of mine, too. While we were sitting there talking, I knew it will be safe for me to say, now, Whoopi, there is something I want to bring up and talk to you about here, now, on camera, in the middle <laughs> of your show. And it was to offer her the role of Gaina. Um, she was sitting at the other end of the row from me, so I could look fully at her face. But what I hadn't realized, I only learned afterwards, was that she began to cry. Wow. Oh, wow. She was so thrilled, and she said yes immediately, and she did it. And uh, so when we met up again on the set, it, it was with all of that emotion and all of that feeling. I adore her and, and admire her. Um, 
her strength, her work ethics, um, her complexity, all these things are enrichments to a wonderful actress. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it blows me away that, I mean, just thinking of the time period in which you've been doing this character and people have known you as this character for 30, 35 years now. And it's, it's, it's a crazy amount of time. Did you ever expect to be doing it this long? And what do you think it is about your character that people respond to so much? I really shouldn't have been cast as the role of the card. Gene Roddenberry didn't want me. Now, this is, this is not giving away state secrets, and I mean absolutely no insult to Gene, because he did agree to have me in the show, but he didn't think I was right for it. And there were times when we were filming, when he would come down on the set and he, they always brought out a huge director's chair for him. So he's a tall man, he would tower over everyone. And he would sit there watching, usually they were bridge scenes. Mm -hmm. And I would catch him looking at me and the expression on his face was unmistakable. It was, what the hell is this guy doing playing Captain <laughs> Carl? It was unmistakable. And, and, and then when I asked advice from people in Hollywood, I knew a handful of people, not many in those days. And I said to them, look, I've been offered this. What should I do? I've got I've got plays lined up coming up in London. I'm finally beginning to get a reputation in the West End playing leading roles, um, and I, I and they've told me now that this is a six year contract that I'm going to sign. Every single person except one said, "Don't worry about it. You cannot revive an iconic show like Star Trek." It cannot happen. You will be lucky to make it halfway through the season before you're canceled. Everybody said that to me. And so I realized, well, that's fine. That's okay. And the other thing that somebody said was, look, come to Los Angeles, get to know Hollywood, make a little bit of money for the first time in your life. <laughs> and go home with a suntan. <laughs> and that's what I expected. I, I shot the pilot, uh, which was a double length episode, two mm-hmm. hours, expecting every day to be my last. Wow. Especially and- after Gene had visited the set. <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be pressure. I mean, to have it's, but then again, if you have nothing to lose, you might as well go for it in a way. And it feels like that's kind of what you did. Somewhere in the vaults of Paramount, there is a letter which circulated from Gene to all the other associate producers and senior people on the show, telling them that if he heard my name ever (laughs) mentioned again in a meeting, he would throw them all out. (laughs) I mean, that's how serious it really was. Oh, I mean, well, I'm so glad it didn't, it didn't work out that way. And, you know, it kind of, like you bringing up that part of your that that point in your career, you and Ian McKellen, which I think one of my favorite things is when I Google you, the first picture that comes up is you kissing Ian McKellen, which just makes just warms my heart. But you and Ian McKellen have a very similar trajectory in that there was this moment sort of not late in your career, but midway through your career where you had had this crazy, respectable Shakespearean London stage, huge career and then shifted to this Hollywood sort of fantasy sci-fi career. And 
I love that you two are best friends in that, even though you're very similar resumes in that. You should, I should tell you so that you know. I mentioned that there was one person who strongly believed I should not do Star Trek. Was, was that Ian? It was Ian, <laughs> who happened to be in Los Angeles during the five days that I had to make a decision. I was cast on Monday morning very early, and I was given till the end of working day on Friday yeah. to give them my decision. And Ian is the one person who said, don't do it. <laughs> no, 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 don't do it. You have too many important things waiting for you. No, don't go down, down that road. <laughs> <laughs> does he think he's wrong now? Does he, does he know that oh, he's wrong? Yeah, I, think, yeah. I think he does. He's a very, very sensitive and, yes. and, and, and self-examining sort of person is my beloved Ian. And he is beloved. But to both me and my wife, we adore him. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I do find it interesting that your Professor X character, which is rumored to be coming back in Doctor Strange, which is very, very exciting. But there is this sort of, you know, you have Professor X, you have Jean-Luc. How, with your background in Shakespeare and how how just, how you are personified by Shakespearean work and theater, and that's how, that's how I even see you in a lot of ways. How does Shakespeare and your work in Shakespeare influence you playing these sort of fantasy sci-fi characters like Professor X or like Jean-Luc? I have always felt that brilliant, though so many of Shakespeare's plays are, there is, without any doubt, a heightened quality to the language. Um, It's not everyday speech. (laughs) Now, you can say the same thing about Star Trek. Mm. It's not everyday language. Certainly not the way that Jean-Luc spoke. Um, and, And... I felt quite early on that having all that Shakespeare experience benefited me so much when it came to walking on the bridge in my uniform, which by the way, had no pockets. Unlike everything I'm wearing in Picard now, it's got pockets. And in fact, I was told after the first couple of episodes we shot, Patrick, you've got to stop putting your hands in your pocket. It doesn't look like Picard because we had no pockets in yeah. those, in those um, uniforms. And, and so you had to learn yeah. just to stand with your hands hanging by your sides. And as well, not gesturing all the time. Either. Yeah. But that was something that I'd already lived through. And so it came relatively easy. I can't imagine life without pockets. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Can you? <laughs> well, no, I can't. In fact, they took me so seriously that my clothing in Picard has got pockets at the fronts of the trousers, pockets on the backside of the trousers. The jacket has got inside pockets, and it's got pockets on the outside as well. I have so many pocket choices. <laughs> But I've been told to stop my hands in my pockets because the thing is, it makes you look insecure and uncomfortable. Yeah, that's one thing that I learned really early. I I started in acting and comedy. And so I had a teacher tell me once that if you put your hand, just keep your hands at your side and everything will come from your voice. Just like let your hands be the dramatic gesture that you need to prove a point rather than always using it. Yes. Yeah. there is a vulnerability 
uh, about an actor when he stands with his hands simply hanging by his sides. Yes. He is not distracting you in any way. He is simply being who and what he is. And when I see actors do that on stage, it always makes me lean forward in my seat. Yeah. Because I want to get closer to them. One of the things that makes me very angry in Hollywood is that you have never won an Emmy or an Oscar or any of these things. And you've been nominated many times for Emmys. And I think one of the biggest, like one of the ones that makes me so angry is when you didn't win for, for extras and your appearance on extras was incredible. And it was so funny and it was so brilliant. Do you, what's harder for you? This is sort of a question that I think actors probably hate, but what's harder comedy or drama for you? I, I think I'm always a little more apprehensive with comedy than I am with drama. I, have, I am so comfortable with powerful emotions, strong urges, uh, strong objectives and intentions. Comedy is a different tonality. And I love doing it. I love doing extras. It, it was thrilling. Well, actually, all I did was to copy my brilliant master with whom I was playing the scene. Yeah. I mean, he was, a, he was a classic example of the brilliance of subtle, real comedy. Yeah, Ricky Gervais. Not gags, not jokes, but, but just being somebody who is utterly <laughs> human. <Yeah. laughs> um, and it's, uh, I would like to do more comedy. I say this now, then it might go to waiting years. Um, <laughs> I would, I would love to find more comedy that I could do in the time that lies ahead of me. I have one little thing coming up, which yeah. you won't hear about for a few months. It's a very little thing, yeah. but I managed to get the script adjusted a little way. Oh, good. In order to end up with this little 30-second moment I have as being funny. And, and um, they, at first, I don't think they were very keen on the idea, but they've now bought it. So um, uh, humor is going to be playing a role in my life in the next few weeks. Oh, that's so exciting. I love the, the power that you have to, to create a 30-second moment and to put so much into a 30-second moment. That's such like an actor's thing, and I love that. Um, well, my last question for you is, I hear you're working on a memoir, which is fantastic and exciting. What What's the process like for you writing a memoir? And are you discovering anything new about yourself as you sort of revisit your past in a lot of ways? Every day that I write, those discoveries are made. I was quite reluctant, in fact, very reluctant. I had been offered the opportunity to write about my life, and I had always turned them down, though partly that was because... I didn't have the time. Mm. I, 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 am, I am not a speedy writer. And I, I, I knew that if I were to write, I would need to have weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months of time to get it right. And when my agent called me and talked about this offer for the memoir, uh, which came from Simon Schuster, mm -hmm. um, he said, look, Pat, this was right at the beginning of COVID. Mm. He said, it's possible there may never come another time like this when you and hundreds of other actors will not be working. Yeah. And why should you not sit at home and write your memoir? 
yeah. during those periods. So I did. And at the moment, I'm 314 pages into it. Wow. This is the first draft, mind you. Yeah. Um, and I am planning, because now Picard is put aside, I'm now planning that I will spend the bulk of the weeks and months ahead completing the story. And given that I've never, except for a few hundred words here and there, yeah. how much I have loved the experience. Yeah. I, I mean, sometimes my, my in Los Angeles, my, my study is, my office is upstairs. Mm-hmm. And when I come down, my wife so often will look at my face and say, I know exactly what you've been doing. You've been writing your memoir because I look happy. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's been such an interesting and because you're continually asking yourself questions. Why? How? Who? What? Yeah. And then, then there it goes down, you know. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm so grateful that I was approached about this. They've been so patient with me, but I now feel the end is sort of in sight. I know where I have to go to at least close the first draft. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, I mean, I could suggest a title, My Life Without Pockets. That might be a great uh, title for your memoir because you didn't have pockets on the original. (laughs) The title already exists, yes. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Bernard, I've enjoyed it very much. Thank you. This has been delightful. Let's do it again. Yes, I'm down. Next, when the book comes out, I'm ready. Okay, thank you. I look forward to it. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Next week on the Parting Shot Podcast, I'll be talking with Craig Robinson about his new Peacock original series, Killing It. It's about a man down on his luck who takes up snake hunting in Florida to make a bunch of money. So naturally, of course, I ask Craig if he's afraid of snakes, and he tells me that snakes are getting a bad rap. Interesting take. We also talk about The Office, of course, because how can you talk to Craig Robinson without bringing up The Office? Like, it's impossible. Thanks for listening to Newsweek's Parting Shot Podcast. If you liked what you heard today and are as big of a fan of pockets as Patrick Stewart and I are, please leave a little rating and review and share it on social media. You can also follow me at H. Allen Scott on everything. For more on the latest news and podcasts, head to Newsweek.com and follow Newsweek on all social platforms. Until then, watch something fun and have a great day. Hold up. 